0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. loving father as i try to articulate the meaning of the resurrection and as we try to understand it this morning i pray that by your spirit we would see jesus and seeing jesus we would worship him i pray these things in jesus name amen you may be seated good morning christ is risen Good, and it's good to be with you this morning at the first light of this new day. This is my first experience at an Easter Vigil and it's quite something. It's darker than I was expecting as we walked in. And as we entered the church this morning in that darkness, we were following in the footsteps of two of the most loyal disciples, the two Marys. The two Marys who were the first to visit the tomb and the first to witness the risen Lord Jesus, the first to see him with their own eyes and to touch him with their own hands. And because they shared the good news of the word of life, eventually that same news reached our own ears. And we find ourselves here this morning. And we're doing what Christians across the globe have done for over 2,000 years, celebrating the empty tomb, Baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and reminding ourselves of the new life that is open to us in Christ because he was raised. And as I've reflected on this morning, the miracle that we get to participate in this movement created by the resurrection. I've come to appreciate why no mere mortal utters a single word. In our passage this morning in Matthew's account, the guards were stupefied into a death like silence, and the two Marys remain mute, at least initially. Only the angel and Jesus speak. It's hard to find words for this occasion. But I love the words Madeline Langle strings together to capture the sense of wonder. At the resurrection, she writes, Easter is almost too brilliant for me to contemplate. It's like looking directly into the sun. I am burned and blinded by life, she writes. And this morning, if we can keep our eyes open, we're going to peer into the bright light of the risen sun. As we trace a prominent theme in our services this morning, the movement from night to day and from darkness to light. We see this theme very clearly as Matthew contrasts the darkness of Good Friday with the dawn of Easter Sunday. Looking back to the crucifixion in Matthew 27 verse 45 we read that from noon to three darkness came over the whole land. And this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Amos 8 which reads, on that day says the Lord God I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight this darkness symbolizes judgment but it could also symbolize morning m-o-u-r-n morning in this noonday darkness Frederick Buchner, Frederick Brunner I should say says the natural world is like a widow putting on dark clothes For mourning for on the cross he writes the human world has committed its most heinous crime the son of god came to it and in response the world's best religion and the world's most advanced government combined to kill him in great sympathy with its creator and his son the earth plunges into darkness she wears widow's weeds And Jesus' final words before his death on the cross suit the occasion. Just as the eclipse of the Son of God is almost complete, in Matthew 27, 46, we read that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And this is what he said. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. And this is the only time, at least in the Gospel of Matthew, that we hear Jesus' Aramaic speech, this speech not translated into the Greek. Here in this cry, we hear Jesus' raw, unmediated, untranslated words. And from the cross, Jesus is quoting the first line of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't want it to be lost on us that the final cry from the cracked lips of Jesus is not an encouraging affirmation. It's a question. It is, in fact, the question, the quintessential human question, the hardest question to answer. Why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with this we witness Jesus' baptism. He's fully immersed into our human experience. As the church fathers have said, whatever is not assumed by Jesus is not healed by Jesus. And Jesus assumes it all. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, and Jesus is telling us what it feels like. It feels like abandonment. The lights go out, Jesus plunges into darkness. He plunges into judgment, he plunges into pain, he plunges into the awful silence of aloneness and he plunges ultimately into death. For us, for our sake. The light of the world went dark. The word through whom the world was made, was made to ask why. And this question echoed off the walls of Jerusalem. For the first time in human history, the words that proceed from the mouth of God appeared to return empty. That haunting final question was first met with a deafening silence. But we are here this morning because silence is not the final word, the cross. Silence was not the final answer to Jesus' terrible question. Easter is. Easter is the answer to Jesus' question. And Easter becomes the ultimate answer to all of our questions, to all of our darknesses. On the third day, the darkness of death gives way to the light of resurrection life. In 28 verse, chapter 28, verse one, after the Sabbath, after the first day of the week was dawning, that is, as the sun was rising on Sunday morning, the two Marys went to see the tomb. And there they discovered that the sun had risen. And as they ran from the empty tomb to tell the disciples, they very quickly discovered that the resurrection is not a theory. The resurrection is flesh and bone. What they're experiencing is not a mystical vision. They're not seeing a ghost. They see his familiar gait. They hear his familiar voice. And they fall at the feet of the formerly dead Jesus who is now alive. This is a remix of Pilate's words, "Ecce Homo, on this day, they are beholding the new man. And in framing the account around the first day of the week, as St. Matthew does, he means us to think back to the first day of creation from the first chapter of Genesis that Aaron read for us a few moments ago. We are to read the resurrection in light of creation, in other words. On the first day of creation, out of the darkness and chaos, God created light, and he separated the light from the darkness. And on the first day of new creation, on this day, out of the darkness and chaos of death, God once again separates light from darkness. The resurrection of Jesus is the dawning of a new first day. What happened in the resurrection is at least as radical and new as what happened in creation. Creating resurrected life from death is as fundamentally and essentially and radically new as creating something from nothing as God did in the beginning. In the resurrection, God is making a new beginning. And the best way I know to think about this is to borrow a concept from theoretical physics. And as far as I'm concerned, if it's not too early to talk about the resurrection, it's not too early to talk about theoretical physics. The concept I'm thinking about is singularity. The resurrection is a singularity. Now based on their observations of the universe, The best scientific minds trace the start of the universe back to a singularity, which is an infinitely small, infinitely dense singular point where the world begins. It's the time place when nothing becomes something. When God said, let there be. In this moment, our math and our words and our imaginations reach their breaking point, their limit, and they falter. The resurrection is a second singularity. It's the start of something entirely altogether new. A new world has dawned, and this new world has different constants of nature, different fundamental laws. In this new world, death shall be no more, neither mourning nor crying nor pain. What I'm trying to say this morning is that the resurrection is not a world-altering event. It's a world-creating event. In the same way I think that we cannot go back and observe the first day of creation, the Gospel writers don't describe the mechanics of the resurrection just how it happened. All we can do is observe its effects the impact of this event. And I think we get a sense of the first effects if we compare Jesus's final words before his death with his first words after his resurrection. Just as nothing couldn't be more different than something, just as a resurrected body couldn't be more different from a dead body, Jesus's final words couldn't be more different than his first words after his resurrection. In Matthew's gospel, the most tragic of all human questions, why, gives way to the most basic of human utterances, greetings. Other translations render it hello or good morning. It's the kind of phrase that nearly every culture has to greet somebody on a new day. And it's so surprisingly simple, so surprisingly human. The anguished why uttered to a God that Jesus could not see is transposed into good morning. We shouldn't let the simplicity fool us. The first words signal that something amazing, profound has happened. Jesus is telling us that this is indeed a new day. He is saying the broken record of death and decay that has been playing on repeat since the fateful day in the garden is broken. New creation is actually happening. The resurrected Jesus is opening up a new human experience to us. One not marked by slavery to sin or fear of death, And so Jesus' first words fit. They suit the occasion. Jesus invites us into this new possibility with a simple greeting. Good morning. Come on in. Come on in to the reality for which you were created. What else do you say to somebody on the dawning of a day like this? Now, there's so much more that I would like to say, but I'm going to end with this. When we look back to the resurrection, what we are doing is looking into our future. When the sun has reached his highest point, the greatest promise of Christianity is that everyone who has been united with Christ in a death like his will be united with him in a resurrection like his. And on that day, Revelation 21 tells us that night will be no more. We will need no lamp or light from the sun, for the Lord God will be our light. In that day, we, like the two Marys, will see God face to face, and we will fall down and worship him. When we look back to the resurrection, we see into the future. And we see that the future is bright. So bright, in fact, that it is almost too brilliant to contemplate. It's like looking directly into the sun. Amen.